Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not enough words or enough time to, to say how, uh, how big of an impact uh, Pastor Ron has had on my life. Uh, you know, when I think about when I prepare for any sermons, I, I don't know which way to go because so many of the things I want to say, I learned from him. And so uh, if Tina were here, uh, I, I, she, would, she critiques me on occasion, Brenda, and she says, you know, that's what Pastor Ron said. I'm like, well, what do you expect? I've been here 25 years. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> so, uh, so like, yeah, of course it's what Pastor Ron said. So, that's, uh, so tonight we are going to talk about a few things, and um, I, uh, I, I work in education. I was a teacher for many, many years. I moved into administration a few years ago, and uh, so... Uh, which means I haven't really taught a class in three years, so we're doing it all tonight. So good luck. Uh, well, we should uh, we should dismiss around 9:30. So, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not true. And so I uh, I lose interest in myself after about 25 minutes. So you know, hey, y'all are good. Y'all are good. And so, uh, but I, we will be jumping around a lot. I'm going to tell three different stories. And then we're going to bring them all together, and, and it's going to make sense. But at first, it won't make sense, okay? So are we ready? Can, can we handle it? It's Wednesday night. You know, it's not Sunday. We don't have to. We, we, can, we can be a little bit more deep, a little bit more detailed, and that's what we're going to do tonight. And so I'm going to talk to you about a, a few things uh, that, that God has been speaking to me. Uh, one of them, uh, Pastor Ken spoke about last Wednesday, and I thought, oh, Oh, that's so good. You know, God, God's saying the same thing. And so, uh, and, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about one of, one of the things that he talked about last week as well. And so, yeah, like, like again, all the people, I'm just going to say the same thing as everybody else is saying, right? And so, uh, uh, but our primary scripture this evening is going to be Psalm chapter 84. That's where we're going to go uh, back to. That's going to be our key scripture. And in verse 10, if we want to read Psalm 84, verse 10, uh, we'll, we'll bounce around and then, and then come back to this scripture. Okay, we ready? Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So that, that's going to be our key scripture for this evening. And so we're going to hover around that and then go off and tell some other stories here. Okay, so one of the principles that's in God's Word, I, there's no way I'll be able to stand behind this podium the whole time, but one of the principles that's in God's Word is that when we look and read the Bible, God tells a lot of different stories to tell one story. Does that make sense? He'll, he'll give examples that span a thousand, fifty years just to tell one story. And the central theme of the Bible is always redemption. That's the theme of the Bible, is redeeming God's great love, which is you and me. And so it is, that's the central theme of the Bible. God may talk about curses, but he's not about curses. You know what I mean? God is not a God of cursing. He might talk about uh, generational sin. But God is about redemption, not about curses that last generations. Uh, in Exodus, God talks about when you disobey the Lord, He will visit the iniquity upon your sons and your children for three to four 
generations. God talks about that. But, and Pastor Ron says this, God's got a big but. But he visits the righteous to a thousand generations. And so, and so the blessing of God supersedes and covers so much more, and it's so much bigger than any sin, than any curse we could possibly bestow upon ourselves or do something to offend God. It's just the second we turn back, His righteousness can cover us for a thousand generations. Amen? That, that's pretty powerful. That is one of the things that God wants us to know. Uh, my wife and I, we were, uh, in, 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 we were foster parents for a long time, uh, not quite as long as you guys, but we were, we were foster parents for a long time. And if you've ever dealt with biological parents where you are connecting with the biological parents of your foster children in any way, you understand the curses that could visit the sons and children for generation to generation, uh, up to three to four generations. You see the same things in those parents. In fact, most parents who have had their children removed were simply the same abused children that nobody ever loved. That's, that's most of the case right there. That's most of the case. Uh, and so when you, when you look at that, you can, Belinda and I have seen that firsthand of what that looks like, of what these, what these things look like. We're going to talk about someone here who, who struggled with that in the Bible and who struggled with overcoming, you know, in, in his mind, overcoming that. So we're going to back way, go way back in the Old Testament to the time of the wandering in the wilderness. And I'm going to set up this story a little bit. So we're going to be hovering around Numbers, which is the least interesting book in the Bible. <laughs> but that's, that's where we are. And so uh, Numbers is called Numbers because they number a lot of things. They go through how many of this and, and this of that. But there's some good information that we can pull out of there. So some of the stuff that we're going to look at in Numbers, I won't, I won't make you read Numbers, but just know that's where it is. And so like if you're like, oh, I don't know where that is in the Bible. It's in Numbers. And so, uh, so when Levi was getting set up as the tribe of Levi who was in charge of the priesthood. So it's the traveling tabernacle, you know, where they're tearing it down and setting it up and all that. Levi's sons had particular jobs to do. We're going to talk about Levi's three sons. The first son was Gershon, and, he, and I'm, don't tell Pastor Kim, but I'm probably going to pronounce these names incorrectly. So the first son was Gershon, and he was in charge of a lot of things in the tabernacle, like a lot of the trappings, some of the items that were important but weren't necessarily considered the holy items, okay? And I'll, t I'll tell you what, what the holy items were in a minute. And, so, and then there was also, yep, going to mess this up, Moriah, Morai, Morai. Uh, and he was in charge of the tabernacle frame, like, like actually setting all this up. Now, the unique things about these two sons and all that they did, they never touched any of the holy items. So these items could be loaded up on a cart. So all they had to do was tear it down, put it on a cart, and the cart would carry it to wherever they were walking. Okay? The third son was put in charge of all the holy items. All right, I know we're, we're in history I'm starting to see some eyes glazing, but we're going to get there, I promise. Okay, so his name was Kohath, and he was in charge of the holy items. And what that means is the stuff that he had to do had to be physically carried. It could never go on a cart. But it had to be carried in a certain way because he was in charge of the holy items. If you touched them or handled them improperly, God killed you right there on the spot. 
Talk about the worst janitor job in the history of the universe, right? I mean, that's what he is. He's in charge of cleaning up the tabernacle, but if you touch stuff wrong, you die. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, that's like, that's, that's his job. And so it talks about him in the Bible and his descendants and how these guys kind of got miffed after a while. They were, they were irritated and they wanted to be treated more importantly because they had this really important job, but their important job meant that they had to do a lot of physical labor and they were kind of treated like janitors. I mean, honestly, if I had to liken it unto any position today, it would be the church sound man, right, Cody? Up, up top, right there. Wow. <laughs> we only notice you when stuff goes wrong. If something goes wrong, someone dies or there's feedback. You know, that's, that's it. And so uh, it, is, it's, it was a tough and kind of thankless job, and that's where these guys were. So over time, they kind of got a little irritated. As Moses progressed, we read a lot about the wilderness with some discontentment with the children of Israel. And it was the same kind of story over and over. They would say, you know what, this, this manna doesn't taste good anymore. We're ready for something else. And they would just kind of complain, and God would send Chick-fil-A, I mean quail. And so uh, <laughs> did you know that, that, that Chick-fil-A is like manna from heaven because you, you have to gather twice as much on Saturday so that you can get it on Sunday because God does not <laughs> deliver on the Sabbath. And so just, just to let you know. And so I think that's their model, actually, in there. In there. But... Uh, so the children of Israel would complain, and then God would come, and, he would, and something would happen to them, and they'd be like, all right, we didn't mean to complain. Please save us, God. And then God would come in and save them, and it was just over and over. One of these times, these kids, Kohath's kids, at this time, his descendant was named Korah. Korah and his family led a rebellion against Moses. There were some other ones in there as well, but Korah led this rebellion. Now, Korah was in charge of the tabernacle. He had a really, really important job. As far as these holy items, he had to carry the ark and all, all of the things. You know, if you touch the ark, you die if you handle it improperly. And he was in charge of it, and he's like, you know what? I'm not getting the respect I deserve, and Moses is kind of weird which, by the way, he was. But, uh, but, but, like, Moses, what are you doing? You took us out of Egypt for us to just die in the wilderness. And so Moses, who was a very humble man, he puts something before me, and, and he says, guys, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Tomorrow, we're going to go out and we're going to meet before the Lord, and God is going to decide who is right. And this is what happened, and, I, and it's all in numbers, but, uh, but this is what happened. They go out the next day, and Moses said, everybody... If you don't want to be judged the way that Korah is about to get judged, y'all need to get out of his tent, get away from him, all that, and Korah's standing out there in front of his tent like, what you going to do? That's what Korah's doing. He's like buttoning his top button on his jacket. He's like, what you going to do? Look at What you going to do? And the earth opens up. Sheol is there, and they all get sucked in, and then the earth closes, and... Everybody's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, so we weren't with Korah, God. I mean, that guy, whoo. I know we were just over there, but we, that, I, it was just passing through. You know, I wasn't hanging out with him or anything. And so that's kind of that's what happened. And, but God says something really important. He says, but the descendants of Korah lived on. And that's really important. So, so even though he was there with most of his family, some of them lived on. Those guys remained in some form or fashion in 
that same role, but it was even diminished lower than what it was. And these traditions, these things that, you, that they had to know for how to handle the holiest items in the tabernacle were passed down from father to son for generation to generation. Y'all following that? So, but the role was significantly diminished. Okay, everybody following the rebellion of Korah. Korah was killed, but his sons lived in a very diminished capacity, kind of had lost respect. They were suffering that whole generational curse. Y'all with me so far? We're going to fast forward all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So, in this story, we're back with the ark, and Saul, well, before this story, Saul had taken the ark out on a battle, and they lost, and the Philistines stole the ark. And once the Philistines got the ark, all kinds of bad and crazy things happened. You can read it in 1 Samuel. Some seriously weird stuff happened to these Philistines, and it's, it's really a great read, but we're not going to dive into it too much. But what ended up happening is the Philistines said, we got to get this ark out of here. I mean, we got to get it away from us. This thing uh, is, is more powerful than our god, Dagon, and we got to get, get it away. So they loaded it up on a cart and just hit the oxen and said, just, just go. And that oxen just kind of wandered around the road until somebody said, one of the Israelites looks out and goes, is that the ark? Just like going down the road here? And so and they, they got the ark back, put it in a house, and it remained for 20 years. Okay? Then David becomes king. And it's not in Jerusalem. The ark is not where it's supposed to be. And David knows we got to get the ark where it's supposed to be. David is super excited. He sends 30,000 men. In fact, let's read it. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6 here. 2 Samuel chapter 6. All right. So, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of the Lord on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Okay? So, do you remember what I said about the sons of Kor? What could you not do to the holiest items? You couldn't put it on a cart. That was one of the rules. Okay? What did these guys do? They put it on a cart. Why? Because they don't know. The ark has been gone for 20 years. It's not in the tabernacle. The people that take care of the tabernacle are not there to tell them what to do. Okay? You following that so far? Nobody, nobody knows what to do. David's doing his best. Uh, and, and, you know, in the words of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The second best thing you can do is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. And that is exactly what David said. You know what? I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do something. And so he put it on a cart, and they're driving down, and Uzzah sees that there is a hole in the road. First off, Uzzah's a terrible name. I, I mean, like, who would name their kid that? And so he sees that there is a hole in the road, and that the cart is going to fall in that hole, and when it does, the ark's just going to come right off. And so, being a thoughtful person, he walks up to the ark to steady it as it gets to the hole in the road. And guess what happens to him? God kills him on the spot. 
And it says, and the anger of the Lord was wroth and hot against Uzzah. I'm like, what was just doing? But why? Because he wasn't doing what God said, even though he didn't even know what God said about it. You know, the right people weren't there to tell them the rules. Okay, so you following this so far? And David goes, God, what do you want me to do here, man? I'm paraphrasing. He didn't really say it like that. But he says, what do do you want me to do? How am I going to get the ark to Jerusalem? How am I going to get it there? And he stops, and he goes, well, I guess we'll just bring it to this guy's house right here. And he goes, and he brings it to the the stop that's on the way, and he says, Obed-Edom, that's the name of this man, can you please house this ark for a little while? That's got to be a weird, uh, you know, like vacuum salesman type of you know what I mean? Like, I'm here to sell books. I'm here to sell a vacuum. Uh, Vivint Security is in your neighborhood. You know, all those things. I have the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> you know, like, that's a weird covenant. But that's what happened in Obed-Edom. He's like, sure. Now, we're going to pause that story. So we've got two stories, okay? We told the story of the sons of Korah, right? Now we're telling the story of David trying to get the Ark to Jerusalem. Now we're going to pause, and we're going to tell another story, Obed-Edom's story. I want you to picture you as Obed-Edom. You're the guy at your house, and the ark shows up. But let's talk about him. Obed-Edom was called the Gittite, which meant he was from Gath. Okay? Gath is a city in Philistia, okay? so not in Israel. He was known, that's where he was from, that's where he lived. But that's really not where he was from either. That's just where he was known from being from. Because many generations ago, or in his life, we don't know when, he broke away from his father and his tradition and decided to move out. He is a descendant of Korah. He is among the sons of Korah. Now, I want you to picture this. You are Obed-Edom. And there is this generational thing that keeps following you your whole life. Your dad was a great rebel against Moses. Moses was the most respected man in Jewish history at this time. David eventually becomes that, but Moses was the guy. And your dad, your family, tried to kill him, rebelled against him. That's the only thing that you're known for. And you didn't want to be known for that anymore. You would rather be known for someone who is from Gath, which is a town in Philistia, outside of your country, known for idol worship. That's who you are now. You totally rejected that. But the traditions that your father gave you were passed down from father to son of how to take care of the ark from generation to generation. And dadgummit, one day David knocks on your door and the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in your front yard and God says, behold, son, I have a destiny for you and you can't get away from it. That's what's going on right here. Do y'all understand this story so far, where we're going? Right now, everything in Obed-Edom's life is to get away from this destiny. In fact, I guarantee you I know what he believes because he probably believes the same lie that I am told, the same lie that you're told, the same lie that the the, the devil will tell all of us either when we make a mistake or we're attached to someone who's made a mistake. I am not good enough. 
to do this. I had a destiny, but who I am and what I've done is going to keep me from it. And if I had just not made this mistake, if things were a little different, I would be able to be who God wants me to be, but I can't anymore. That's what Obed-Edom is thinking, because that is the same message that Satan tries to tell us today. That's the same thing. He, he's still, that's the same story he's trying to say. Has God, God surely said? That's the same message, the first lie, and it's going to be the last lie he tells. Is God really enough for you to overcome your past? It's the same message. That's what Obed-Edom is facing right now. You following so far? So here we are. The ark shows up at his door, and David says, can you keep this? And he goes, dead gum. And he doesn't say that, but you know. And, and the ark stays at his house for three months. Three months. And all of a sudden, Obed-Edom's life changes. God starts blessing him. God starts taking care of him. And, and I mean, and, and David says, oh my gosh, look at how much God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. Look at how, much, how many great things God is doing for Obed-Edom. I have got to get the ark to Jerusalem. Is there anybody who knows how to do this? Obed-Edom raises his hand. I know. I know how to do that. And he sets it all up the way that his father taught him. The same generational curse that he believes is punishment is exactly who God wanted him to be. And he sets it all up, and they carry it to Jerusalem, and David loses his mind with joy. And so, like, he, and, and that's another great story. It's just with how excited he is. He starts dancing. His wife gets mad at him. <clears throat> Wives get mad at you for anything. I mean, like, that's good. <laughs> Let's be fair. And so, uh, so that, that happens, and, and, and they get in an argument, and, and you know, they have a conversation with God about it. It's another, it's another sermon, but I just wanted to point out, it doesn't matter what you do, guys. It's going to happen. They're going to get mad at you. And so, um, <clears throat> I'm in trouble. All right, so, uh, so here we are. Obed-Edom goes with him to Jerusalem. And we know this based on some other scriptures later. So Chronicles is another uh, boring section of the Bible. It kind of tells the same story that we already read about in Samuel and in Kings, and, but Chronicles says it more or less from a scribe's point of view of event one happened, then event two happened, then event three, you know, and it, it, you can get this, but it's not a very good narrative. It's just kind of dry. And so, but in Chronicles, it talks about Obed-Edom moving to Jerusalem, okay? This man followed the ark where it went. You follow that? So, we're going to read a little bit back to our scripture for Psalms, Psalms 84. Now, we're going to read, have y'all ever read like the little uh, who wrote this at the top that's kind of extra biblical a little bit, meaning it's not in a verse, but it is, it is a, head, a heading for a particular section. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We're going to read that a little bit. Okay, in Psalm 84, at the very beginning, it says, To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, it doesn't say who wrote this specifically, but did you know that Giddeth is a stringed instrument from a particular town in Philistia? Anybody want to, know what, want to guess what town that is in Philistia? Exactly where Obed-Edom is from. 
So we don't know who wrote this, but we have an idea who wrote this. And here's what he said. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow nests for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. This is a changed man, right? And when we get down to verse 10, he says, it is better to dwell one day in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Wow, that is the redeeming story of God, who for generations this man thought His past was chasing him and he couldn't get away from it when it was God the whole time trying to redeem him. He's not known as the son of a rebel anymore. How powerful is that, right? That's you, by the way. That's me. This is a story of redemption. This is a story of redemption. And so when when we look at some takeaways here, a lot, of, a lot of what we face looks like it looks like God is trying to maybe poke us or, or life is trying to poke us. Why is it that I'm always dealing with the same things, right? Have you ever asked that question? Why is it that I cannot get away from this? Why is it that there's always this particular struggle that I struggle with, whether it's a generational curse, whether it is something that you just can't get away from, uh, in, 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 and it may not even be a curse, but something that, something that you're do, dealing with. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, I remember uh, I worked in IT. Uh, that's really what I did. And when I was in college, I did a lot of consulting, and, and I would go, uh, you know, nobody could afford me to hire me full-time, and so I would work for different companies, and they would pay me when they needed me. And so I would go, and I would travel, and, and I would do that. And one day, uh, a college called me and said, hey, you know how to, how to teach this, right? And it, and it was some IT stuff. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I could probably, I mean, I know it. You know, I could probably teach it. And I'm 22 at the time. I said, would you like to teach one class? And I'm like, ah, sure. And so I go and teach a class. Well, 16 years later, <laughs> you know, I, I never got away from teaching. But I remember three to four years into that, in my mind, I'm an IT guy. Because IT guys make good money. IT guys get to kind of, you know, like we know things. We're smart, you know. And I remember I was at a SkillsUSA competition, uh, and I was with students. I was uh, basically the student sponsor. And all of my teacher colleagues were like, hey, it's going to be great. We're going to put the, kid, the students you know, in the hotel. They're going to do their thing. We'll put the tape on the door. If you don't know what that is, then you've never been to youth camp. Uh, so we're going to put the tape on the door, and then we're going to go, and we're going to hang out, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be rowdy. And I'm just like, got to be honest, that doesn't sound fun. You know what sounds? You know what I want to do? I want to play Xbox with my students. That's what I wanted to do. And so, I, I like I brought my Xbox, I brought some computer games, and we just hung out in the hotel. And they were calling me, "Hey, hey, when, it's so much fun. When are you? When are you going to come downstairs and hang out?" And I'm like, "I don't really want to. I kind of want to hang out with my students." And God spoke to me so clearly, and He says, "Why do you want to hang out with students?" And I knew where He was going. I said, "I don't want to hang out with students, God." And He said, I "Said yes, you do." He says, "Why?" says, because you love sheep, son. 
And I said, but I don't want to love sheep. I want to be an IT guy. <laughs> you know, that, that was kind of my take. I, I, and, and so, but you do love them, don't you? And that was one of the things that I ran from for a really long time. I didn't want to actually admit that I was a teacher. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, like that was the calling that God had for me. And so uh, I kind of ran from it for a while. But those things that keep chasing you are not punishment but instead preparation. Pastor Ron's, one of his uh, thousand-point sermons, uh, you know, perhaps what you're going through is not punishment for, from your past, but preparation for your future, right? That is, uh, that is what Obed-Edom was facing right there. And God is not a God of judgment, but a God of redemption. God is a God of redemption. He is not about judging you. He's about redeeming you. And sometimes those things that we face over and over and over again are not so you can be punished for it, but so that so God can redeem you, so that he can pull you out of that, so he can change you, so he can take what you've been through and use it as a bridge for you or for someone else. That is who God is. And so there is no curse greater than God's love for you. There is no sin greater than God's love for you. Whatever you did is not strong enough to overcome the love that God has. Amen? So, when we're looking at that, when we're considering these things, know that God is a God of redemption. Amen? Amen. 